so glad to see everybody here today. We've got uh, we've got a lot of folks here. We have also some folks not here, so I just want to say hello to them so that when they see this later on in the day, uh, they will know that we're thinking about them. And before we begin, I, I also want to say thank you to the eldership here for placing such great trust in me to share with you a gospel story uh, today. And uh, there's also one other note. Uh, we had to have some car work done the other day, and while I was waiting for that to be done, I was visiting with various customers that came into the place, and there was one lady in particular. I, I invited her here. I don't see her here, uh, but I did tell her that we uh, would be so very happy to keep her daughter in prayer. Um, her daughter's name is Avery, so if you would put her in the back of your mind, uh, she is a 10-year-old girl that's dealing with cancer. And so uh, we just want to be mindful uh, because a lot of folks have to deal with this. And it's really especially difficult to deal with these kinds of things this time of year. So without further ado, we're going to be looking at... Is this my clicker over here? Okay. Uh, we're going to be looking at a story uh, together today that I think will help to answer a question because uh, on the bottom part of your screen here, that is really what I want us to keep in our mind, but we're going to answer that question through looking at the story of Jesus' birth. What makes a gift a gift? Why is it a gift? And a lot of times we, we don't really get the full measure of that until we see some things that are behind the giving of that gift. So we're going to look at four things today to help answer this question. And the first one is we're going to look at the Magnificat, we're going to look at the message, the Magi, and then the meaning. Okay, so... <clears throat> is this... Oh, there we go. Gotcha. Hey, that's not where we're going. The orange one? Okay. All right, we're going good now. All right, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. If you'd like to uh, turn that uh, uh, in your pages there and read along with me, it's called the Magnificat because this is a word which is Latin for my soul. And, and this is kind of what Mary is pouring out here when she begins in verse 46. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart, and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, and, he has, uh, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. <clears throat> what I want to, I think it's good for us to examine 
just an overall idea that comes from Mary's uh, prayer, her, her words here. And I don't think that it is uh, uh, hard for us to see that she has a great love for God, uh, that she has a spirit that is focused on him and who he is. And where did she get this? Where did she get those thoughts, those ideas? And I have no doubt when I say that I believe that she got them largely from the things that she was taught. She may have overheard uh, in, the, uh, in the synagogue. She may have overheard uh, rabbis or others talking about these th uh, things in the street or the marketplace. She would have had these conversations, I think, with her family. Um, her, pair, her prayer is very similar to that which we can read. And if you're taking notes, uh, but you can read a very similar prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is Hannah's uh, prayer. Um, it's also notable that in Mary's words of Luke chapter 1, she cites two separate psalms, one of, it, one of which is the 103rd psalm, verse 17, and the 107th psalm, verse 9. I think it's, you know, when we ask, where did she get these things? Uh, I, am, I am mindful of Timothy. Uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 2, uh, I mean in the second book of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, Timothy was taught the scripture by his grandmother uh, and his mother. And they passed those things on to their son. And so when God chose Mary to be the mother of our Savior, he, he would have had to have had these things in mind regarding her character. She's going to pass these things on to her son as well. <clears throat> the... When we, when we look at the message that we're, we're going to be getting into, there's some history here. And I have to thank uh, uh, Mark for his class today because when he started putting up those passages, I'm thinking, how many of these are he going to sh is he going to share from our lesson? And, and that's okay. Repetitive uh, uh, learning is very profitable for us, right? You know, you teach those things over and over and over and over and over and over again, uh, and, and you, just, you just get better at it. They become second nature to us, right? And so that can't be better expressed at all if that second nature stuff has to do with our understanding and recollection of the things that God shares for us. So before Jesus was resurrected, before he was crucified at Calvary, before the Son of God had a ministry to the world, before his childhood, which was like so many others, you know, Jesus was born of a young woman, and it was most important, and it is most important that we understand that we have been given a Savior. But let us not forget that before Jesus was our Messiah, he was a human in a manger. Before we look at his birth story, we must go back in history to examine some of the some of the events that inspired the prophetic promises of our future Messiah. And so our, our story, it has to begin way back. And I've got, 
there's not a lot of stuff on the slides that I have for us today other than artwork because I, I think that if we attach uh, information to an image, we're better able to recall it. That's kind of what I think anyway. So there's a battle scene here. And about 730 years or so before Jesus was born, there was a war. Judah's new, and it involves Judah's new king, Ahaz. He has been battling against both the Arameans and the Israelites, and the attack at this point is against Jerusalem. And although the enemy does not take the city, there is little consolation considering the, the staggering loss. Thousands upon thousands have lost their lives in this war. Uh, I believe the Chronicles uh, uh, tell us that 120,000 people lost their lives. That's a little bit less than half, if I'm not mistaken, the population of Omaha. <clears throat> During this time, Isaiah, because here's where the answer lies in some of this, Isaiah serves as a prophet, and, you, and, and if you remember from our class this morning, if you glanced at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, there was a number of kings that were listed there, Ahaz being one of those to whom Isaiah served. But <clears throat> during this time, Isaiah serves as a prophet. He is faithful to God, and he's guiding the leaders of Israel and has been doing so for 40 years. And Ahaz was definitely one who needed some guiding, Amen. I mean, if you've read anything about this evil whippersnapper, I'm at an age now I can say that. Yeah. I remember being called a whippersnapper, but that was a long time ago. His behavior, Ahaz's behavior, was bad enough that when he died at the age of 35 after serving as a king for 16 years, they wouldn't even allow him to be buried with the other kings. Now, how bad do you got to be to achieve that goal, right? Ahaz exposed the Israelites to foreign gods. Imagine this for a minute. You come to worship here this morning, and the doors of the building are locked. They don't let you in. But that's, that's basically what Ahaz did. He, he shut the doors to the temple. He built up high places for sacrifices to the gods of Damascus. And if I'm not mistaken, Ahaz even offered up his own son in fire to these false gods. He, you see, he figured that if the God of Damascus could be so victorious against the Israelites, that should be the God to worship, right? And so he forces the Israelites. He encourages the Israelites to involve themselves deeply in idolatry. Maybe then they'd be victorious in a battle. Isaiah witnessed these events and spoke to Ahaz of, idol of his idolatrous indiscretions, but to no avail. And it was during these prophecies against Ahaz's behavior when God said to Ahaz through Isaiah, 
Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God and make it as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Ahaz quickly responded when he said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Isaiah then demanded, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. And this is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. A little later, Isaiah said to him, A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We need, to, we need to jump ahead now here a little bit because this is seven centuries later and we introduce a character by the name of Gabriel. God sent the angel Gabriel to a Galilean city called Nazareth. Now, <clears throat> Nazareth is a, it's a hilly town and when I, when I think of a hilly town, I, I think of a place similar to that of where uh, some of us in this room live there in, in, in Blair because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hilly. Um, I used to deliver mail in Fremont, and I kind of liked it because when I moved from working in Omaha, um, my route there we called the Stairmaster uh, because it was just hills everywhere and a lot of steps, and I was really in shape. So I went to Fremont, and it's just flat. I took a deep breath and enjoyed the relaxation. Now I'm back in Blair. The volume of mail that Blair has compared to Fremont is twice as much, and there's more hills. It's the Lord's way of saying I was getting too... Anyway. So anyway, Nazareth is a hilly town, and, and most of the buildings are built with the limestone from the area, and so its modern name actually translates White City because of how much... Uh, uh, limestone is used there. It is a simple but accurate description of the place where a courtship has been taking place. In this town lives a young girl. She's been handpicked by God himself and she knows her scripture and she's pure and she is awaiting her marriage as she is engaged to one of the local boys, Joseph. Joseph has a great work ethic. And I'm going to repeat that again because I think it's notable. Joseph has a great work ethic. He uses his hands a lot. He's a hard worker. He's, he's talented in his, uh, in, in his trade. And he's going to teach that trade to his son and to the rest of his sons. Uh, because we know he had five, right? Five boys and at least, well, he had four boys. We've got to get this right. Four boys, a stepson, and at least a couple daughters. Anyway, 
But he's going to teach his sons to be carpenters as well. And he's in the lineage of King David as Mary is also. He loves his future bride and can't wait for the day when Mary and he will be husband and wife. And so excitedly confident, Gabriel says to Mary, greetings, favored one. You've got to say that. I don't know how excited to be when, you know, I don't know how Gabriel would have said that. How does an angel speak excitedly? He, he's got some background information that even we don't have. Hail, favored one, he says to her. The Lord is with you. This surprised her a little bit, and it was confusing to her as to why she would be told these things. Understandably so, right? It's likely that Gabriel sensed her bewilderment, saying to her, Very soon now you will become pregnant and have a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He shall be very great, and, she, and he shall be called the Son of God. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he shall reign over Israel forever. His kingdom shall never end. His kingdom shall never end. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Uh, Daniel prophesied that there as well. Mary is not a naive girl, though. You know, she's, she knows a thing about, you know, the birds and the bees. And so inquisitively, she asked Gabriel, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? Without any hesitation, Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High God will cover you. The baby will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Gabriel gave her similar news about her cousin Elizabeth, saying, Your relative Elizabeth, who thought she would never have children, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. Now, why would he share this to her? I think that he does this specifically to let her know nothing at all shall be impossible with God. In her humble character, Mary tells Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. And I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything that you have said to me come true. And so with these words, the angel left Mary. Joseph needed bolstering too in all of this. For when he heard that his future bride was pregnant, he feared for her. Now this, Joseph had some knowledge of scripture too. And we have to understand where his fear comes from. Because the law demanded that she be stoned to death. So he thinks to himself, I can hide her from the elders. That, he'll, that will keep her safe from them. But the angel told him, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Are you getting idea? A little bit more about this gift that we have. So let's skip a little bit forward here. At this point, we have to move just ahead to another event which bears upon the birth of Christ. For less than a year later, the Roman government, having roads to build and armies to support, they have, they have water supply problems and they have other projects that they need to take care of and they have to find out just how much they can expect to receive from taxation. So Augustus Caesar, one of the Roman emperors, decreed that a census should be taken. 
I should say another census because history says in Luke's account, chapter 2, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor. It's not the only one that they'd experienced, but it was the first one that he experienced. I, I, I iterate this because uh, we need to know that what we're reading is not a fanciful story. It is history. And just like our Bible class teacher said this morning, there are people that would look to us here today and think that we are nutso because of what we're doing. They don't look at the Bible as history. They think it's a fanciful story. Just a couple of quick side notes. When I was in the military, one of the guys that I was bunking with, he was, he was, he was, I was in the Marine. And when I say that this guy was a gentleman, that, that is saying something. Um, he was a kind man, but he was an atheist. And he said that he read the Bible not just once, not just twice, but he said it's a great story, you know. Um, yeah. From the other perspective, when I tell you that there are people who look at us and think that what we're doing is not worth anything, I was there because when I was in the Marine Corps and someone asked me to learn about Jesus, my response to them was, there are a thousand things to do on the weekend in California and church is not even on the list. I am thankful to God for the facts of history entering my heart. So we continue. This concerned Joseph no little bit. What, what I mean is, if he were a bird that was going to travel from where they are directly to uh, Bethlehem, it's about 50 miles. But that certainly wasn't going to be the case because with the terrain, uh, certain roads best left untraveled because of bandits, uh, they were going to have a difficult way uh, to go. Also, with Mary nearing the end of her pregnancy, this was not going to be an easy journey. He also knew that if they didn't get to his hometown early enough, it was going to be very difficult for them to find room uh, uh, to stay. So they were going to have to make do with the accommodations because, like the story tells us, there was no room at any of the hostels. Uh, it left them to find shelter in in basically a stable. It was there that Mary went into labor. Was it the long ride on the mule? Might have, have, might have had something to do with it, but I would like to think that it has more to do with God's time, amen? <clears throat> Just as the angel said, she had a baby boy, and like all other moms in her country, she took strips of cloth used for uh, newborns, and she wrapped him in as snugly as she could and then laid him in the feeding trough, that little manger, because it was the only thing that would serve as a crib. And so not too far away, Mary is tending to baby Jesus. An angel appears before some shepherds, and the night air is cool with the onset of winter just a couple months away. They are out in the field. I say that on purpose by the way, because we have absolutely zero information of when Jesus was born other than 
Shepherds do not tend flocks in the middle of the night in wintertime. I've been in the Middle East as well as other ministers, and they would share you the same, share the same idea. So when was he born? Who knows? They are out in the field tending their herds when the angel, seeing he had startled these men, said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you news, great news of glad tidings, great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they told Mary and Joseph the statement which the angel told them about this child. And all who had heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. As much as we need to know that we have a Savior, it must be first known that he was a son. He was the son of God and he was the son of Mary. That leads us to the Magi. Who, just exactly who are these fellas? Who are these guys? And we know that they're from the east. They're from an area which uh, uh, would be known to us today as uh, Iraq. And uh, we, we can look at the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's called the uh, Septuagint. Okay, And the Septuagint, uh, uh, because it's using the Greek language there, um, we can learn a little bit about the people that we're talking uh, in the New Testament. And so the Magi, they were basically astrologers. This word, though, is used in Daniel's uh, version as magicians. They were still people that looked up in the sky and would learn from star patterns, okay? So... <clears throat> These men were looking for the Messiah. These guys are Gentiles. They're called magicians. They look up in the sky. How in the world did they figure out that there's something going on up there which tells them we need to go and look for an individual who is to be a Messiah. They have a lot more information than my studies have answers for, okay? Um, but we know that this is very important, important enough for them to bring some very specific gifts. What did they, interactive portion, what three gifts did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's right. All of these things are health related. Gold is for the financial health of the family. 
because uh, they're poor people. I mean, where are they staying? They're, they're in a stable right now. They're poor people. Um, the frankincense, it is something that has to do with uh, immunity. And so it, it builds up. Boy, we need some immunity today, don't we? It, it builds up their immunity. And then there's also, it, it's got, it smells good. It's got an aroma. Do you think that in a stable right now, they might like to have something that smells good? I know I would, you know, break out the scented candle or something. Uh, don't set it too near the hay, though. All right, myrrh. That's another uh, uh, herb, uh, herb that has to do with health because it is anti-inflammatory. Um, it acts as a sedative, okay? Um, there's wound healing uh, attributes to this particular herb. You know what else is interesting about this one, though, is that it is seen in Christ's life at three different periods. It is seen in his birth, it is seen in his death, and it is seen in his burial. We get this from Matthew 2.11, Matthew 15.23, and John 19.39. So what does all this mean? What is, what is all this... We're trying to answer that question. What makes a gift a gift? We got that background stuff. We got all of that information that brings us up to, uh, basically to this point. Because this day that, we're, that we've been uh, uh, describing is a day when, uh, uh, the holiday is, that is, is a day when much of the world is focused on religious matters. Uh, Mark mentioned that in his class. You know, this time of year, what are people thinking about? They're they're thinking about spiritual things. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who you are. If you say the word Christmas, you are saying the Son of God's name, in effect. It's, it can't be overlooked. So, and what do we do this time of year? There's a lot of gifting, isn't it? And I use that word to describe both the giving and the receiving. That's what gifting is. And so we have to look at this word from a biblical perspective because we're Christians and we are thinking spiritual and we want that spiritual part of our lives fed. The word give is seen in the New Testament 38, uh, I mean, sorry, 31 different times in 28 verses. Now I want to go through these. I don't want to go through these too quick, but James, he tells us in chapter 1, verse 17, that uh, we only get good gifts from God. Notice what he tells us here. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. How many of us are going to be having to, uh, are going to have to take some gifts back and exchange them? If you have to do that, I will tell you right now, that was not a perfect gift. Okay, be honest. Who's going to re-gift next year? Every perfect gift is from God. There is no exchanging that. Because when he gives us something, we take that and we think, thank you, Lord. Right? Because it was the exact thing that we needed in the exact moment of our life for the exact reasons that we needed them. James continues, 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is not going to give me a better gift than he gives you. He's not going to give you a better gift than he gives me. Because God knows each of us, he knows exactly what we need, and he's going to give us exactly what's going to help us. Again, exactly when we need it. Jesus is the ultimate gift. John chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, this is another passage that Mark had referenced in his class this morning. But Jesus answers the woman at the well, and he says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. That'll quench your thirst, won't it? Why does God give Christ to us? Eternal life is the first and foremost thing that we have to be uh, remembered, uh, remembered or, 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 or thoughtful of. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us there, that's chapter 7, it's a memory verse anyway. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A free gift. The gift we need. It is through this gift that we have the Spirit as a gift. Acts chapter 2 verse 23. What did Peter, uh, near the end of his uh, first sermon there, uh, on the day of Pentecost, what did he say? Repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A gift, it is a gift which cannot be attained by any other means than that which God prescribes. There's a story in the New Testament about somebody who wanted to buy this gift. Peter, Peter tells this person in chapter 8, verse 20, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Folks, the only way to heaven is God's way. There is absolutely no way on the face of this planet that any man woman or scholar or anybody else can come up with the way to get to heaven. We can't do it by the bootstrap method. We can't buy it. Uh, there's a song we sing uh, here from time to time. You know, you, you can't buy your ticket to heaven. It, it's not there. So if we're going to follow a plan of salvation, we may not understand all the where's, uh, where's about it, you know, all the ways of it, you know, but it's, it's what God says to do. People say, you don't have to be baptized. Well, I mean, I don't understand all the... What, what is it about water? And I don't have the question. But I know what Scripture says. We see that we're baptized, but the actual word... The actual word is immerse. There's no pouring, there's no sprinkling in the Greek. Those two words are used in other places and have nothing to do with the salvation process. So if we're going to follow a salvation process and use water where it's involved, it is immersion. 
We got to do it God's way. We got to be penitent. We can't jump into a church and think that we are saved and still continue to do those things that God doesn't want us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's verse 9. Such were some of you, right? We got to get rid of that. We got to get rid of that stuff. It is by his free gift that we are justified. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And we do all this so that we can say thanks for his indescribable gift. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 says. What makes a gift truly a gift is largely the effort that goes into its giving. And what did God do? He gave his only begotten son. What did Jesus do? He gave his life, and we know how difficult it was for him to do that because how many times did he pray to his father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me? It's a great gift we've been given. It is a great gift. Five quick things I want to share beginning in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, because we are here to hear the gospel. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We know that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us there, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that seek him. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it has that change that, that, that we have to do because we are required to repent. And we're told here, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere, repent, change. The only way this world can ever be made to be something good is if we give the gift of a better life to ourselves and to each other. And then, of course, lastly, we need to be baptized. And we talked about Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If there's any way at all that we can encourage you in your acceptance of his great gift, let us know, won't you, while we stand and sing?